1: my guest today is a technologist and inventor. He is a patent inventor, in fact, of the underlying technology for enhanced television used on TV shows like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and Monday Night Football. He runs a consulting group helping Fortune 500 companies with technology, media, and marketing. And he is just a great friend and one of the smartest people I know when it comes to marketing and technology and data. And you're going to hear some very special things in the show around platform. You don't want to miss this show about how you need to build your own platform, be your own marketplace, be your own media company. And if you're in the New York area, you might've seen him on Good Day New York. He's a frequent commentator on CNN and CNBC. Shelley Palmer. CEO of the Palmer Group. Welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. It's so good to be here, Jeff. How are you? I am doing great. You know, one of the things that sticks out and we, we were going, we tried to do this show once before, but we had some yeah. technical difficulties, but we're back and we, we've got everything fixed out, fixed and everything working right. That just happens in live and live broadcast, as you know. You've been, um, we were talking about one of the things that sticks out was one time about 10, 15, 10, 11, maybe 12 years ago, your granddaughter was sick yeah, and you were telling me about how sick she was. And we both know what that means when our grandkids get sick. It's unbelievable. Just devastating. But you, like, it was the middle of the night. Everybody was worried. You guys just got done crying and you said, we're going to fix this. You said something along the fact that, hey, we're Jews. We know doctors. We know attorneys. We know people. And I just always stuck with me. Is is that the right phraseology you use? You know,
2: it's close enough, Jeff. The thing is, in New York, if you're a professional and especially in our community, You tend to know every doctor, lawyer, and hedge fund manager, so and and we do, and so. uh, But it was such a traumatic time, you know. We're making light of it now, and we can, and we can make light of it now because my granddaughter is healthy and vibrant, and she's um, twelve years old now. So you got your timing right. And we didn't think she was going to make it past two and a half. Like she was was diagnosed as a two and a half year old with pancreatoblastoma, which is um, pediatric pancreatic cancer. And we were able, we were lucky enough to be able to use our network to find exactly the right doctor there are only five cases a year of this in the united states and sadly it's a soft tissue cancer and most children don't survive it and we were very very lucky and you know what's what's i think appropriate for this conversation you are one of the most profound and consummate networkers i know and we always think about the power of our networks being for business and to move our businesses forward but it's more than that because networks are people Right? Yeah. And so the power of the network is what my network, my daughter's network, my wife's network, my son-in-law's network, the power of our networks are what literally saved my granddaughter's life because we were able to mobilize very quickly. And rather than try and create shareholder value, we needed to save a life. And I've, mm. to me, the profound reality of that was not lost on me. Uh, I've always admired your ability to network. And I've always tried to be a good networker. And, you know, we have our own, the Shelly Palmer community is pretty large. We have oh, yeah. PGX, Big. which is our own social network. And we've got, I don't know, 650,000 some odd people on our daily email list. And you wouldn't think about that in the context of of anything but business generally. But since Emma got sick 12 years ago, I'm telling you, that to me is my greatest asset, my ability to reach out and ask people when I'm most vulnerable. Hey, I, I need some help. And you know what? We're all in that sh- case right now. Like everybody's but you, but, there now.
1: Oh, without question. But Shelly, you're you you you're hitting on a point. You, you use those networks when you need them, but you also put into the bank as well. Oh, I mean, that's the important thing that you have done many times over. Like when I, when I had my first book out, you said, come on my show. You help me. Then I help you back. We all help each other. That's what it's about. And then, then you can go and take out, a, you know, you put in it as a deposit. You get to make a withdrawal every once in a while. And that's what networks are about. And, and I like to do networks where you can do them for your personal side as well. And I know we're way off the technology side, but I think this is an important point. But you, you know, know I can't tell you the, the number of times that people have come to me and said, hey, can you help out my daughter, my son? Can you make an introduction? And I say, absolutely. And they said, Jeff, but you did that willingly. Of course I did. Who doesn't wanna help their, their daughter, their son, their nephew, their niece? If you can't do that, what the hell's the use of it, right? Well, the tech, but the technology is our
2: empowers us to do this. Like technology is meaningless unless it changes the way you behave. Now, I could argue that social media writ large is probably worse for humanity than anything that's ever been (laughs) invented. Um, It allows you, it allows people to to howl at the moon and scream at each other in an anonymous way that uh, it creates vortexes and echo chambers. That's all the downside. The upside is that you can you can put information out there that's useful to people and they can respond to you in a way that they never could before. So I don't see my network and technology as any way disconnected. Quite conversely, I think that we're very lucky that we have some, I have something to say every day. And it's not just you know pouring out my feelings. It's like, you know, this is my reaction to what's happened today. Maybe this will help you. And I yeah. try to add value every single day to the group that follows me and they respond in kind. So I, I think this is probably the, the most uh, noble use of technology, the ability to connect each other. Uh, a lot of people abuse it, but by the way, there's no technology in the world. That's not abused. Right.
1: I mean, that's right. Uh, so oh, without question, how, well, then I won't even it. go. Can't even go into the conspiracy theories and the other crap that I see right now with the relationship to COVID and and elections and you name it, and and all because of social media. And the fact that we have so many COVID experts now, where before they were people persons and they were... (laughs)
2: Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't profess to be an expert in COVID. I've had some personal experience with it. I wish yeah. I didn't have. But I, yeah. I think what's important right now is that this is no longer a technology issue. Yeah. And it's probably not a medical issue in the way that anyone uh, who's not an epidemiologist or a scientist can deal with. But what it truly is, is a massive sociological problem because it has divided this country oh. in ways that I didn't think was even possible.
1: Oh, it's and, gonna get worse, Shelly. I, I think I, th- you,
2: th- I think it is.
1: It's is gonna get worse. And I think it's coming to cultural too. I mean, it's really there's going to be this huge backlash that we're going to see. There's going to be a huge trust gap with the government, huge trust gap with medical uh, people as well. I, I, I really you know, there's a lot of people who thought we've been sold a bill of goods from CDC, World Health. Or, you know, and by the way, I just think all that's poppycock. Who knows? You know, somebody asked me recently about our governor because she didn't put in South Dakota. You know, I went back home to South Dakota. I left New York, went back home to South Dakota. I got a place in New York and South Dakota. And, you know, Al, we've been practicing social di- distancing here in South Dakota since 1889. So that was not new <laughs> to us, right? So not, not a problem. But, you know, she didn't do a stay at home order. And we, I think we were the only state that didn't do that. And yet, you know, it's been fairly good. it been OK with our state. But a lot of people criticized her. And, you know, and then they're arguing about, well, w- did she do a good job? I said, who the hell would want to be in charge right now? Seriously, anybody that's given a shot, they can't win. I don't care who you are. You can't win. All right, let's stop talking about this stuff because I want to get in more about, uh, you know, the way you're helping Fortune 500, the way you're helping lots of other business and to help them grow and turn data into action. How are you helping them grow right now, Shelly? What are you telling folks to do?
2: So the most important thing you can do is shorten the time from an idea to an action. Mm -hmm. A lot of marketers get together and say, oh, look, because of home delivery, because of curbside delivery, because of whatever external forces, whatever they are, we need to be able to do X. And X is always, in this case, something digital. Either it's app-related, web-related. It's going to require some data coming in, you turning that data into action, acting on that data, and then understanding those actions. And so- a lot of organizations have various ways they do that. Most of them have always been one-offs. You get the idea, you hire an external firm, or you get some engineers together, and you build either an app, or you build a website, or you build a database, and then you visualize that with or access it through the web. These have all been monolithic for almost every company that's not a tech company builds apps. You hear it all the time. Let's build an app. Let's build a website that's so profoundly wrong it is so profoundly wrong and it has always right. been profoundly wrong yeah. that that it is coming to bite everybody in the butt right now so what we do is we help create platformic businesses even for the smallest of the big businesses we work with the way to do this is to build what's known as an API first an applications programming interface first platform that surfaces data in a way that any engineer, any competent builder of technology can understand, and then allowing not only that group to build, but other groups to add value by building independently and creating value for you. And if you want to see perfect examples of that, iTunes and the App Store, Apple and the App oh. Store, Salesforce and the their Salesforce Exchange Marketplace, the Amazon Marketplace, all of these are single-ended, platform businesses that allow you as a third party to enrich Apple by building an app that they get a cut of, that you can build a, a tool for Salesforce that Salesforce gets a cut of. And it in it improves the lives and the the value of the businesses that not only build these uh, third-party apps, but that use them because you can't own enough engineers. You can't be smarter than the internet and you can't hire everybody. So in order to make your business as big and powerful as possible, you have to start by surfacing your, by understanding the shapes of your data in your business and then building a platform that allows permission-based access to that data to enhance your business. And this is, Your eyes start to glaze over when you talk like this, but if you don't do it that way, then every single app is a one-off and every single website's a one-off. And then you've got to, on the other side, figure out how to bring that data together and make it actionable. And I gotta tell you, Jeff, that's harder today than it's ever been, especially if you've used a small ad agency over here and a big agency there, and you've used a third party performance marketing group there, and all the data is living everywhere, and you're a marketer or a business executive trying a stakeholder trying to make um, some business decisions or to drive the business forward. So we've been doing this for years and I don't think we've been busier. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it. I don't think my organization has been busier ever in the history of our company.
1: I totally agree with you hundred percent. Listen, I want to come right back uh, after this message and I want to talk some more about this platform and building uh, your own network or your, what I call your own media company. We'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back. We're live on uh, live casting right here on Facebook and LinkedIn as we bring you all business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network. And we're so glad to be a headliner on that network. And of course, hey, I own it. So what the hell? It's awesome. You know, I like to say that. And I'm talking with Shelly Palmer, the CEO of the Palmer Group. He is the man when it comes to technology, he's the man. And we're talking about how to build a platform. You know, you've got to be a platform. And we all know in marketing, you want to capture customer behavior. And that's what really what you're saying there is, no, don't go build a website, don't go build an app, go figure out what your customers want and then build that so that they'll be there and you can serve them in the way they want to be served, which is important. And, and you know, Shelly, I keep telling everybody right now, they have to become their own media company. You know, and I like you and tell you that you could say the platform is the same way, but I, I think you've got to build that base because, you know, it used to be that we could go on TV and we'd be famous. You can't just do that anymore because nobody's watching there, right? Yeah, or you could just build a podcast or you could build this. You got to do all these things all at the same time now.
2: So- There's The metaphor of a platform is is excellent for marketers, and it's excellent as a business strategy where you say, I'm going to be where my customers are, and obviously you want to fish where the fish are. So there are some people on Twitch, there are some people on LinkedIn Live, there are some people on Facebook, there are some people on Instagram, some people on Twitter. Each of these has a native language. You need to speak that native language and program to that native language. You need to be able to understand the data sets as they come in. What's actionable? A like is not a business outcome, Jeff. It never has been. So- You know, being famous is is great if that's your ego and you want it. Maybe your significant other or partner will think you're awesome if you're famous or your mom. But in practice, a like is not a business outcome. A business right. outcome is turning the data into action, and the way you do that with a platform, a marketing platform, is pretty well understood. What we're doing at the Palmer Group is a little bit different. Sure, we do all of that, and in fact, with the technology that we purvey empowers all of that. The important part is. You cannot in 2020 hire enough engineers to be competitive because I don't compete with Jeffrey Hazlett. I just don't. I compete with Facebook and YouTube and Amazon and LinkedIn and all of the tier one tech organizations that create these amazing user experiences. So the UX and UI that I'm competing with isn't the C-suite network, although, yeah. you know, I, we have the same basic customers, but their, their expectations are significantly, significantly higher <laughs> than, than yours and mine oh my goodness, there's a world happening here. Their expectations are completely different, right? They're looking, for, they're, yeah. looking for, um, they're looking for a real live, visceral, oh, I know I'm in the right place. This feels like Twitter. This feels like Amazon. This feels like Facebook. So do you have the money to build 60-frame scrolling? Do you have the money to surface a unique uh, painted screen for every single one of your visitors that's based on everything they've ever done with you? And the answer is you don't. But if you built a platform and allowed third-party developers uh, to cheaply and easily access your your data set, then you could actually compete. And that's what we try to help our clients do. Be competitive at a price. Be competitive at a speed. Get to market faster. Fail faster so that they can learn more.
1: Yeah. And and by failing faster, you win faster, which is the real key. You know, and everybody always – I always tell everybody, you want fame or you want fortune. Man, I'm going to go for fortune every single day. Every time. Yeah. Do you think, do you think, because by the way, listen in folks, if I get really good at what I'm doing and I make a lot of money, uh, if I do it really well, I'll get the frame for free. And if not, I can buy it. There you go. That's what it is right there. I can buy it. You know, Hey, do you think everybody's ready for this new world order? Do you think they're ready from to get, you know, cause I I'm saying right now, days are weeks, weeks are months, months are now years, years are now decades. And if that, that's the way we've now squeezed time into it and what you need, what I was going to do in two years, I have to do in two months now, I have to get it done. So are we ready for that? Is everybody else ready?
2: So, we have experienced in the last sixty days something like eight to ten years of innovation, and yeah. you know you know doctors will now allow you to do telemedicine, and the insurance companies will now give them a copay. Movies are coming out direct to consumer on digital as opposed to having to go to a theater, like things that were sacred cows, like even April 15th has been moved to July 15th like <laughs> things, things they that moved were, yeah I mean things that are sacred are just completely disintegrated, so yeah. I am always optimistic about people and innovation and necessity has always been the mother of invention. So are people ready for it? No, Mm, but you're not really ready for any day. All you got to do is face it and say, you know what, this is where we are. Innovate, adapt or die. You know, people always mistake, Jeff, people always mistake Darwin. Uh, They always say uh, Darwin's on origin of species was survival of the fittest. You always hear that, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. Darwinism. That's completely not what the book says. Book doesn't say that at all. Right. If you read Darwin's book, it is about survival of the most adaptable species that adapt and survive long enough to procreate, pass on their genes, and species that don't adapt perish and go extinct. So that is really Darwin's theory of evolution. And if you're going to do business-style Darwinism, you will be you will survive and prosper if you can adapt best. And what we teach in our consulting practice and what we try to do, what we try to practice is adaptability. And so I believe people with an open mind will not face the potato famine in Ireland, right? Where they're an island and fish are everywhere, but they were used to eating potatoes and that's what they did. And when there were no potatoes, Mm -hmm. they died, but they didn't need to, they could have become fishermen they didn 't, and you just need to understand that like the world has changed i don 't know how much it 's changed or how much it will continue to change, but now the pace of change is is so exponentially fast that there is no way we do this there 's the way you 're doing it today, and you have to position yourself as best you can, not for future proofing because that 's silly that 's a fool 's errand. You have to position yourself to be able to adapt on a regular basis, so how flexible can we be moving forward how how thin and how, how light can we make every client? How small can we make every th- piece of infrastructure so that it is disposable and adaptable and I can build on it or I can throw it away? Because if you start to say, well, I understand the future and you just put a flag and I go, this is the new future. Wow. Are you going to be in for a w- wicked surprise? It is no longer the world we lived in and it really never was, but you weren't being forced to adapt. You could just coast. There's no coasting now.
1: There's no coasting. And so that's a true, you know, my, my very first book, and it's been my theme in every book that I've got and everything I talk about, adapt, change or die. And I don't want to die in any way, shape or form. And I don't want this show to die. So I'm going to take a quick break and come right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we are back and we're live on LinkedIn and Facebook as we bring you all business with Jeffrey Hazard right here on C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. We have about three minutes left, Shelly, and I'm talking to Shelly Palmer, the CEO of the Palmer Group. We got a question from the audience that's come in. Rick Bethello, thank you. It's a good doctor there. He's asking this question. How can we create new leadership and followership development models to educate people more effectively? Well, that's a good question. In addressing our complex mega problems. Well, that's cool. And how can we accelerate the effective implementation of innovations? That's kind of cool. I I think you're, the whole thing you talk about APIs, I never really thought of it like that. You know, sometimes we want to build a moat around what we build. And you're saying, no, 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 no. Build it, build it up, build this platform, and then give everybody freaking access to it to to build off of it. That's that's like that, you know, I say it's like a giant sequoia tree, right? And you're building this huge ecosystem and inviting everything under the canopy.
2: So as long as you've got good permissions-based tools and as long as you have great developer relations and documentation is key, this is where everybody fails. You actually write the documentation first, Jeff. You decide what it is you're trying to do and what you're making available. For example, let's say I was building a scheduling app for doctors. I'm just making this up as I go, like ZocDoc, right? And a lot of doctors have WordPress because it's a really popular way to make a website, right? Because it's cheap and it's free. Well, yeah. who's going to make the plugin for WordPress? You, you can't spend time hiring engineers to do that. But if you made the tool set and the documentation so easy that any developer could build that plugin and then seek your permission to approve it the way that you have to get approval for your app in the Apple App Store, and you constantly had output, like you do this wonderful C-suite network. So if I had a constant developer relationship uh, network going out there saying, hi, devs, we're open for business. Come and add value. We're going to pay you. Come,
1: come add. Come add, right? Come And then,
2: and somebody who can quickly do that will do that. You didn't have to do it. You didn't have to maintain it. They're making money. You're making money and the people you're serving are enriched. So it's this, it's not free, free, free for everybody. It's a controlled environment that is open to those with permission. It's not open source like anybody can do it. It's open with developer relations. And this allows you to build a giant, giant network of engineers and technologists who will add value um, and enrich themselves at the same time. So what you're doing is enlighten self interest. And Google has had this model forever. They just assume every engineer that works in the world already works for them. And when they like something, they buy it.
1: All right. Yeah. And you could do the same thing here. I mean, that's exactly yeah. what you're doing. I love that. I love the idea. It's the same thing we employ at the C-Suite Network in terms of how can I get other people to attach, bring, put everybody under the canopy. I love that. Somebody ask a question real quick with a minute left. What principles do you use? How do you choose who comes in and who doesn't?
2: So the principles are really simple. Um, the golden rule. Mm-hmm. Never fails. Yeah. Never has failed. Never has right. failed. Never will fail.
1: Ooh, the free enterprise system works every single day. Hey, we're talking to Shelly Palmer. He's talking about his PGX platform. You need to think about this, folks. Think about how you become a platform. I've said it for years, be a media company, whatever you want to call it, but um, I love it. And this, he's shown us a way to do it with technology. Hey, Shelly, thanks so much for joining us today. Jeff, stay
2: safe. It's such a pleasure to see you and congrats on your great success and continued
1: success. (laughs) And at the end of every show, I like to talk about the things that I learned. And then my next guest, uh, Dr. Gary McGrath, former uh, United States Army captain, is going to be a bombshell for leadership uh, advice. And we're going to be talking with him in just a minute. But I like to talk about what I learned from Shelly. And I learned something from Shelly every time I get together. I mean, he's just a great guy, great energy, great person, great human. And I'll tell you what it was. Whether the key word that I got from that was platform, platform, platform. Listen, folks days, as I said earlier, days are weeks, weeks are months, months are years and it's time. You got to move. You got to move and you got to build your own platform. You can't just wait there. You can't depend on everybody else. You've got to build something that's around you and your brand and build off of that, that marketplace, that, that network, that network, that company, that, that media group that you become the brand. That's what you got to do. And then you have to have other people feed into it. If you want to grow learn the new model because it's a new world order. And that's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlitt. My next guest today has over 30 years experience working with everyone from Fortune 500 companies to tech startups and owning and operating his own consulting firm. He's now the CEO of Steterius and it is a company that partners with effective leadership to build profitable, healthy organizations. And I'm telling you, he's a former U.S. Army captain, and he tells us about I got your back leadership, and he talks about the military ethos and how to put that forward. You're gonna hear that right off the bat, and it's gonna carry on throughout this entire uh, conversation, and it's just just a wealth of knowledge. His podcast, Leading from the Front, is part of the C-Suite radio lineup, and he's one of our C-Suite network thought leaders He is truly at the very top of the top of all thought leaders. Dr. Gary McGrath, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett.
3: Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. Love to talk about leadership.
1: Well, and you are a leader without question. You know, we had Gary Featured. He's a former captain of the United States Army. Again, thank you for your service. And he was part of our battleship week, which was just absolutely wonderful for him. And in that, you mentioned the warrior's ethos. Can you talk about what exactly that is and how we apply it to business? I just thought it was a wonderful way of like looking at leadership and how to apply it to business. Can you talk about that?
3: Well, sure. So the warrior's ethos, which uh, the US Army has a warrior's ethos, they have their mission, of course, uh, whatever that mission might be at the time, which is at the highest levels to defend and support the Constitution of the United States. But the warrior's ethos has to do with the values that drive our behaviors every day. And the first one is to complete the mission, whatever it is, we need to complete the mission. The second is to never quit, never give up, and to never leave a fallen comrade behind. Those are the four uh, warrior ethos, as, as we call them in organizations, values or principles to follow. And when you when you think about, you know, the simplicity of it, right, complete the mission. Don't quit. Don't give up. And make sure that we take care of each other. It's uh, pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward.
1: Yeah, pretty straightforward stuff. Keeps it simple. Is that is that the, the core to real great leadership is just keeping it simple?
3: Totally. Uh, you know, so I can remember years ago being part of uh, Scott Paper Company. And uh, after I left Procter & Gamble and Procter & Gamble, as you know, is still thriving and driving and making great things happen. Scott Paper, you don't hear about them too much unless you hear the, the brand, because in the middle 90s, they were bought by Kimberly Clark. Mm -hmm. And I can remember two things that the leaders in that organization uh, failed to do well. Number one, they failed to solve root cause problems. They solved the same problems every day, and they didn't fix the the root cause of the problems. The second thing that they did was they seemed to make things so complicated. They had this 24-step decision-making model. By the time you figured all that out, it was too late. And uh, Harvard Business Review had an article about two years ago that talked about CEOs that succeeded and failed, and they focused on one thing, and that's their ability to make quick decisions. The CEOs that made quick decisions and made mistakes would then make quick decisions to correct the mistakes. The ones that failed were almost always the ones that took way too long to make decisions. The mission and the values are the foundation of us being able to stay within the boundaries and make decisions within our organizations. And that's what great leadership is is to make quick, good, solid decisions while they think about the future, the organization, the strategy, and all of those pieces put together. It's complex.
1: Well, and sometimes you don't have great leaders leading businesses, sometimes you got bad bosses. You got, they're bad.
3: I've, I've heard that.
1: Yeah, there are a few. <laughs> Can you, and you know, sometimes sometimes to be honest with you, we're bad bosses. You know, we have bad days. But 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 if you look at a bad boss, I mean you watch, I love to watch the the office, the office, the show The Office, because that's just the epitome of bad bosses and bad stuff all the way around. Can can let's talk about that. Can you really make a bad boss into a good
3: boss or a good leader? Well, you know, first of all, I want our listeners to think for a second. And I always ask the question, you ever had a bad boss? And you universally get the answer. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The few yeah. entrepreneurs that say, no, I, I haven't had a bad boss. Cause I've been in charge my whole life and uh, I'm the one I'm the bad boss. The bad <laughs> At boss. least they'll admit it. Right. <laughs> so here's the thing is I don't think like, I believe that everybody comes to work trying to do the best they possibly can that day. I agree. Okay? If we can agree on that, then yeah, why- no, nobody, nobody
1: wakes up every morning and says, I can't wait to be stupid. I, I don't think that
3: Yeah, I, I can't wait to screw up and I, I can't wait to abuse people. But yet bad bosses abuse people um, uh, without conscious effort. I mean, it literally without being conscious of what they're doing. And it's not because they want to be bad bosses. It's because bad bosses are bad bosses because they don't know how to be good bosses. Very few leaders, especially in the middle market and the smaller companies have ever been trained in leadership. And I tell you what, I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about this uh, analogy, but Jeff, um, you know, if you've ever had appendicitis or anybody out there ever had appendicitis, I always ask people, well, so what do, you, what do you do? And they say, well, I go see a doctor and I get it removed. I said, that's great. So you know what to do, have it removed. Well, why don't you just hand the scalp? Why don't you just take it out yourself? Yeah. Like, oh, that's, that's crazy, right? All right, so hand the scalp to your spouse. Have your spouse take it out. And they go, what are you crazy? Well, no, I mean, why not? You know what to do. So just remove the appendix. Why wouldn't you do that? And they said, well, I don't know how to do that. Neither does my, my spouse. Well, we are handing the scalpel of professionalism to a newly promoted manager or vice president without ever training them in how to perform surgery. And as I always ask people, if you have a bad surgery, who dies? Is it the doctor? (laughs) No, it's the patient. The same thing happens to the employees. It's the employees that take the brunt of the uh, incompetence. And they're incompetent not because they want to be. It's they're incompetent because they've never been trained. They've never been taught how to handle that scalpel of responsibility of leadership.
1: Yeah. Name of the game right there. that be able to train, train and train, I think is uh, one of the other things I've heard you say.
3: Well, actually, I would say develop, develop, and develop because Uh, training by itself is not effective. And we Uh, don't train leaders, we develop leaders. But yes, training is absolutely part of what we do. But when you combine it with teamwork, coaching, mentoring, assessments, and uh, application within the culture of the organization, then you have something. And that's what we do. We really contextualize the training that we do, the development that we do, the coaching that we do of leaders so that within their organization, they're able to extend and develop an intentional culture that works for them instead of allowing culture to just happen by osmosis. That never works.
1: Well, speaking of develop, I need to develop a message. So hang on just a second. I'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we are live on LinkedIn and Facebook as we're talking to Dr. Gary McGrath. Now he's a leadership expert and coach and he can help you. He's helping me. And I've learned from him every single time I talk to him. He's part of our C-suite network and our thought council, our elite group of leaders that serve uh, so many trusted executives around the world, not just in the United States, but around the world. And we're talking about leadership. If Gary, if you had to invest in one thing, just one thing to improve our leadership skills, what should it be and why?
3: If I was going to invest in one thing, uh, that's, a, that's a tough question. And I, I, it's going to require a little bit of uh, nuance in the answer. But if it was one thing, I would say invest in a coach. Mm, yeah. A coach can help you make better decisions. A coach with some experience and background that might cross the line a little bit, with a little bit of consulting and advice. Somebody with some uh, some uh, experience in doing what you've done in the past can and be sometimes very- some therapy. Some therapy, a little, and, you know, bit, of little, therapy. little bit of therapy. You know, because who, <laughs> who gets in our, our way, Jeff?
1: Oh, it's us. It's always us. And yeah. it's usually inside of my head or our head. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So the first thing I'd say is, Coach, the second thing I would say, and anybody can do this, go take an emotional intelligence test. For 15 bucks, you can buy Emotional Intelligence 2.0, go online, take the test and find out where you are. And I know a lot of people say, well, I don't want to do that because they don't want to know. Okay, but there is a direct connection between emotional intelligence and leadership effectiveness. Emotional intelligence and cognitive judgment are the only two scientifically measurable uh, characteristics of leadership effectiveness. Everything else is anecdotal. Everything else is just a possibility or your style or whatever, but I can measure these two and I can help people improve them so that they can be more effective. But foundationally, the one thing that people could do right now, and it wouldn't take any anything, but going to my website and downloading my personal mission statement builder in the seven steps of intentional leadership. In my second book, I, I write on the seven steps of intentional leadership. Step one is purpose Component one of purpose is a personal written mission statement. How do you hold yourself accountable every single day to show up as the best possible self? How do you show up as a father, as a husband, as a leader, as a corporate uh, executive or a manager or supervisor, as a person? How do you show up? People get knocked around. They get pushed around by life. And we need an anchor of authenticity to remind us of who we want to be and show up every time that we interact with another human being or think about things and make decisions. The only way to do that is to have a written mission statement that we can check against. So on those days that really suck, that are really bad, where everything goes wrong, when you can look in the mirror and say, I showed up consistent with my mission statement, that's a great day. It has nothing to do with the outcomes, nothing to do with the goals and the accomplishments. It has to do with how you treated people, how you showed up in all those roles and that you can feel proud that this was a great day, even though I almost failed at everything.
1: <laughs> you, you talk about compassionate accountability. Is that also related to that point? Absolutely.
3: I, I've found that most people in leadership think they have to do one of two things. They either have to show their gentle human side and be compassionate and thoughtful or they have to hold somebody accountable, be, be tough. And in fact, as parents, we have a, a parallel phrase for it. It's called tough love. Mm. Do we stop loving our children when we're tough with them? No, we don't. In fact, we want to be compassionate to our children to, first of all, empathize. You understand the way they feel and turn empathy into compassion. Compassion is the act. Empathy is the understanding of emotion so that you understand the situation the person's in so that you can make the best possible decision. The hard part for leaders is balancing compassion, accountability in each situation in the appropriate amount and and skills and experience is the only way to be able to really develop that. And by having a coach, you can talk about those situations and say, you know, I don't think I handled this very well. What are some other options? What are some ways to balance, compassion accountability. Because we often think of the the drill sergeant that hard hitting, make it happen, you know, get the results, or the nice guy, the one that, you know, kind of wants to get along with everybody, wants to be the friend. Research has shown that either one or the other is about 14 to 17% effective as a leader. If you combine the two, you increase your effectiveness by six or seven fold to 75%.
1: I can tell you my dad. I was just thinking when you mentioned the drill sergeant, that was my dad. He was a sergeant, really was a sergeant, and that's the way he operated. It was very much the, his way or the highway. Hey, speaking of the highway, I want to take a moment uh, to talk about the cash highway, and I want to get, uh, get over and talk with one of my uh, sponsors. We'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, this is Jeffrey Hazel. We're live right here. We're filming or taping. Uh, we're both live casting on LinkedIn and on Facebook. And of course, we're laying down our sound for interviews. I hear on all business with Jeffrey Hazel and C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network. And we're glad that you're listening in. Hey, you also talk about um, I got your back leadership. You know, I've got your back, which really, it does sound like a real, me, uh, you know, military kind of activity. But how, how can you have this kind of teamwork? How can I have your back when I'm remote right now? How are teams able to do that, Gary?
3: Well, it, yeah, being remote is is really a challenge because I was just reading an article today about how loneliness is really creeping into more and more of our days because we're less and less connected. And that lack of connection is um, is, is really detrimental to not just our ability to be able to get things done, but also our emotional state. That's why uh I'm I'm actually working on a video right now that talks about we need a little more compassion right now, not not less. Right. The accountability needs to be there. And and that's really the essence of IGYB. And you know, you've heard this story. My brother sends me a text when I ask him to do something, and it's IGYB. I've got your back. And uh you know, just a side note is my my four brothers, myself, my, my son, and my father have 108 years of military service. So we come from military background, but the compassion in my family was my mother. My mother's 91, and the balance with them was there. My dad was a naval officer and he was tough just like your dad. Uh, but you know, he still gave hugs once in a while. And he mm-hmm. still played with us once in a while. And I remember those moments. But when I think of the softness, the gentleness, the compassion, when you're small and growing up, my mom was always there. So they had that traditional kind of line between the father and the son or the father and the mother on their roles and what they did. And it worked because I, I, I feel the love that my parents had for me, which which was unique. I mean, it's, it's uh, not everybody gets that feeling. And uh, that was my mom. She's the one that taught us the compassion. So if we had But he it,
1: wrote in, Mike Assam uh, writes in this question, what was the core for P&G? You know, they were founded back in 18, 1837. What was the core for P&G being successful?
3: So they were absolutely uh, focused on quality products, quality consumer products. And they wanted to be number one and number two in the market. If you look at their business model, They would have two brands. The brand managers would sit side by side in Cincinnati and they would fight over the marketing in Cincinnati of trying to be number one or number two. So they would buy two different brands of toothpaste, two different brands of uh, tissue paper, two different brands of cleaning materials. If you look under your sink, you'll still see like 75% of the stuff you have under your sink is P&G because they don't live on the P&G name. They live on the brand of the individual product. So I can remember being a paper machine manager, and they basically said, this is, talk about a great company to work for. They said, here's the deal. This is the quality of the paper that needs to come out at the end. We don't care how you get there. We don't care how you cut costs, how you improve the efficiencies, how you maintain the product quality. But if the product quality comes out according to these specifications, you can do anything you want for a young engineer that gave so much power that says these are the boundaries and this is how to go about it. And I I wanna, we talked about this earlier about mission and values, you know, with the warrior's ethos and the boundaries around that. And I just wanted to quickly share a a metaphor for that. If you're on a uh, a 40-story building and it's 50 feet by 50 feet across and there's 50 mile an hour winds, and there's no wall up there, how free are you going to be to run around on top of that building? Yeah. Yeah, Most people lay down and, you know, start praying. Right. But if I put a wall up all the way around the outside a 10 foot metal or steel wall, and I say, okay, now go ahead and move around. People will stand up and move around. And what, what the message is, is this, whatever we're doing as leaders, creating boundaries for people to work within creates freedom. For them to work within those boundaries and express themselves and and spread their wings. Without those boundaries, though, people are afraid and they often go into business for themselves. So the idea here is mission, values, clarifying expectations, goals, all those things need to be in place to be effective as a leader. And, great
1: words to live. Great words to live with. Great words. And I thank you very much, Gary. I'm going to wrap it up today. And uh, I want to make sure you everybody knows he's got two books out, Mastering Sales Leadership, Learning to Herd Cats. Love that book. Love it. A CEO's Journey The Seven Steps of Intentional Leadership. Dr. Gary McGrath. Make sure you check him out and uh, come and see him again. And, and don't forget his podcast. He's got a podcast right here on C-Suite Radio. Want to make sure that you listen to that. Leading from the front, I've been on that podcast. He's got a great lineup of uh, guests on that show. And so make sure you check him out. Dr. Gary McGrath, thanks for being right here with us on All Business with Jeffrey Hazley.
3: Thanks, Jeff. Hey, Jeff.
1: IGYB. End of every show. Of course, I'd like to talk about what I learned and what I learned today, compassion compassion. You know, it's a little, it's really tough right now for a lot of people. A lot of people that are out there in in business and what they're doing. It's lonely. Yeah. Gary talked about that, that it's really lonely. It's lonely at the top without question, but it's lonely for people. So, you know, right now, you know what I'd say, cut everybody a break. That's what I learned. Every once in a while, cut up a break, be more compassionate, be a, a more compassionate leader. Don't just be a hard ass and uh, remember that everybody's you know, in this together. So that's what I learned. It was a good reminder for me today. Uh, and that's, that's how we got everybody else's back. And I got your back. And thanks for having my back by listening right here to All Business with Jeffrey Hizlett on C-Suite Radio.